This is the part where C-Lab starts to nerd out. Ooh, teamwork. I think she stole the show. Blood, 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 splash, buckets of blood, buckets of blood. Blood, blood, blood. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whether or not someone who comes back as a really nice alien should be allowed to stick around. And he discovers empathy within that human being who is a douche. It's a magnificent vision. Velociraptors with laser beam eyes? Come on. Ooh, teamwork. Broadcasting live from inside the power bands, this is The Blah. In this episode, everybody dies. I'm your host, The Wolverine, along with the intrepid Jarhigo. Hey. And the always hilarious C-Lab Forever. Come on down. What's up? I loved how manly your hay was, Ben. That was... Like, hair grew on my chest when I heard you say that. Master of the Price is Right theme song. How do we feel about Drew Carey taking over the reins? I mean, I wish Bob Barker was immortal, I guess. That's the sci-fi short I'm going to make. Is it immortal Bob Barker? Yeah. I agree with that. I wish Bob Barker was immortal, but if I had have somebody do it, I like Drew Carey. I think he's good. He's... He's very affable. I like Drew Carey. Don't get me wrong. He's terrific. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's very affable. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Super great guy. And for our next segment. (laughs) uh, Folks, this week on the podcast, we're going to be doing uh, Sci-Fi Shorts Part 2. We were enjoying it so much last week, we didn't have time to wrap up Human Is uh, from Philip K. Dick's Electric Dream. So we decided to do that one this week, plus a couple more. So, Algorithm, why don't you fire up with your opening tirade or whatever? My spiel? Yeah, just just like last week, I'm going to do a uh, chapter markers for the different stories. So, if you haven't heard one of the stories or seen one of the stories, you can skip it. We'll talk about the higher level stuff first and then spoil it by announcing spoilers on each one. And um, check your show notes if your podcast app doesn't support chapter markers. You can just go to the timestamp. This is the part where C-Lab starts to nerd out. Yep, that was it. <laughs> it was nerdtastic. Do you want to list off the four stories? Oh, man. Yes. Ben, why don't you list the four Ooh, stories? Teamwork. Ooh, terrific. Okay. So, uh, Human Is by Philip K. Dick from 1955. We have Beyond the Aquila Rift, which is another fantastic short story by Alistair Reynolds. Then we're going to talk about Kung Fury, which is the uh, sort of internet sensation. And uh, another short film from Love, Death, and Robots, Helping Hand. Bada bing. Bada freaking bing. Uh, Ben, you want to kick it off since this was your pick? Yeah, human is, dude. How did you encounter this one? Um, in the throes of winter, I, I watched this fucking thing. I think uh, Electric Dreams dropped on, on Prime. And being a Prime subscriber, I watched the shit out of the series. Um, it wasn't terrific, the entire series, I don't think. But this particular episode stuck out at me. Just because it had, uh, I guess maybe because it's from 1955, uh, it had a very retro vibe to it, the the look of it. And uh, it really was striking to me um, because it's something that I haven't seen sci-fi movies or sci-fi shorts or sci-fi TV series do in a very long time. What did you guys think? Um, yeah, similarly, it uh, it definitely had a retro vibe. I didn't know that it was a 1955 story going in, so I kind of wish that I had known that. I would have probably viewed it through a slightly different lens. You know, I, I kind of personally, I treat a lot of the older sci-fi differently than newer sci-fi uh, because I miss the boat on a lot of it. So like, you know, for example, like Foundation is considered like the best goddamn thing since sliced bread. It was probably written before there was fucking sliced bread, and I I wasn't super into those books, you know. But um, I kind of see why it, it's appreciated. Oh, dude, that is so funny. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. Um, and just to be clear, it wasn't really so much about the story; it was really about uh, the look of the thing and the feel of the thing. And I I thought the actors were really good, and I really loved Essie Davis and and Brian Cranston was great. But it wasn't like the story of the thing that really attracted to me uh, attracted me to it. It was it was more the the look of the thing. Yeah, cool. Um, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, yeah. I enjoyed it for sure. I was watching it though, based on your recommendation, I was kind of thinking kind of a lot of the time, like, oh, I wonder what it is that Ben, 
you know, is attracted to about it. So that's interesting that it was more the the look and feel. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You mean um, like because you thought it sucked, or no, I, I didn't. I didn't think it sucked at all. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I thought it was quite. I thought it was quite good. It just wasn't like. Um, I don't know. It wasn't like a matriculated or or a beyond like we spoke about last week. That was another couple of recommendations that Ben drew into the pot. So I was just kind of curious about it. Yes, I, I will uh, respond to Jarhigo first. I watched this on Ben's recommendation. I like the look of it, but I really think the story shines. It's a classic example of great science fiction, like tackling the human condition, you know, and this particular episode does that very well. Uh, in terms of really making you think about the subject matter. And that's why I liked it. And um, the music, I thought, was really, really good. The choices of the selections in the various different scenes, uh, it was a really great variety of music as well. So, yeah, those two things jumped out at me. I can talk about other things as we go. So, you know, maybe we should talk about what the story actually is. Yeah. Just a quick recap on the story itself. So, spoiler territory. Yeah. Far-flung future becomes reasonably clear, reasonably early that it's Earth, but everyone lives in habitats, and it seems as though there's toxicity outside or something, and that is a major factor for the society. And the story revolves around a couple, Brian Cranston, and what was the lady's, lady's name? Vera. Yeah, cool. So, the, the, the main characters, Silas and Vera, are a married couple, a power couple, and um, Silas is a total tool bag dickhead and Vera seems pretty adept and capable but lives in Silas's shadow and so the story is basically set in an abusive relationship and he is all patriotic about the society regardless of the costs and goes off to steal resources from an alien world and in the process gets so he gets possessed by an alien and um, comes back not a dick anymore and it kind of explores the space about um, what it is to be human and and uh, whether or not someone who comes back as a really nice alien should be allowed to stick around. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to expand what I said a minute ago. Elegant and eloquent, as always. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't need to fucking read you the whole script, you know? Yeah, no, you're, you're, you're more or less right. Um, and I think that this is is the story is told through the lens of Vera, more or less. Yeah, mm, definitely. That that def- there's definitely an interesting sort of it creates a bit more interest there because you're seeing it from her. It's not like it's from the perspective of Silas, who's the one who goes through the change, and and uh, you know we see that change happen through Vera's lens. Yeah, and it's also not through the perspective of like a third person. Which so it even more reinforces your 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 comment about how powerful it is to to focus on Vera as the the protagonist. Yeah, yeah, and I thought Essie Davis was awesome. I, I really I really loved her in that. In that, she's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, I don't know if I'd quite noticed her before then, but um, she was terrific. Um, and it, doubly so because Brian Cranston's really good, and you know, she really uh, I think she stole the show. Yeah. Wow, that's quite a statement there, Benny. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, I, I don't disagree. I mean, Cranston, <laughs> you, you can always rely on him, so I guess, you know, it's to be expected that he's going to do a fantastic job. Right, well, he's a pretty big ticket, you know, Yeah. actor to put put at the top of a casting list. And, uh, you know, you need somebody who's who's really good to, to you know, like he's going to bring people to the table, but, but the person that kept them there was definitely S.C. Davis. She was terrific. It's worth noting that the story is actually a lot more bare bones, the short story. I ended up just like, I don't know, finding a copy of it and reading it. It was really short, a la short story. And um, the the female character in a different name, they all have different names, and he's like a scientist instead of a soldier. And she's just like, you know, as you would expect a 1950s female character to be written, where she just is kind of a, a chump and all the other dudes in the story tell her what to think and what to do. And, and she... Uh, right. She kind of pushes back in the kind of quote unquote courtroom scene. It's not in a court in the story or whatever, but it's not as fleshed out as the sh- as the um, Electric Dreams episode. And I thought that that the additions to it and the focus on her perspective was really it really made a huge difference in the story for sure. Wow, I wish I had read the story. I wish I was as cool as you. 
<laughs> I had a little bit more spare I time. I, I wish I was as cool as C-Lab. Maybe one day I will be. Hey, man, Captain Murphy, dude. He's a pretty fucking cool dude. Sorry, I just got, I just got, he is a cool dude. You're right. And I just sort of got, uh, went off on like a little thing about um, Essie Davis because I was curious what else she has been in. And mm. turns out quite a few things, folks. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying like, uh, is that you called me cool repeatedly and paid me compliments because you didn't listen to a fucking word I said while you were on on IMDb with Jimmy Google. That is exactly right. God, you are so sharp, man. That's what I like <laughs> about you. Um, I'm you know, uh, She appeared in two films that are hated by two-thirds of this trio, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolution. <laughs> what was she in that? She was... Uh, she played the character of Maggie, and I don't remember exactly who that was. Who the fuck is Maggie? Uh, well, you wouldn't know. You guys, she must be in Zion or something. It. You were you were too busy watching the second Renaissance. She was, she was at the Zion rave scene. She's the girl with all the sweat and the dreads. <laughs> no, she's the one selling uh, concessions at the rave. <laughs> 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 right when Morpheus is going for one hundred years. She, she's she's got Morph- Morpheus. We are still here. <laughs> Morpheus's orgy ought you know twelve or whatever the fuck. It is. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Exactly right. She was in um the horrible Assassin's Creed. She was in the Legend of this. This has got to be the longest and possibly worst name in film history. The Legend of the Guardians. The Owls of Gahul. <laughs> You're not selling me on this uh, lady's career. The, the Baba Duke, yeah, Australia. These are just films that she's been in. She's been in a bunch of TV too. Anyway, she's Australian. She's not even British. Hey, no wonder I liked her so much, mate. No, she was great. She was really, really great. And um, she was great. I really, you know, Cranston. You know, as soon as Ben was like, "Oh, Brian Cranston's in this this third episode," I was like, "Oh, I'm in. I love Heisenberg." You know, no, I wasn't that lame. I really enjoyed his performance, and then uh, the general was, uh, you know, Sir What's His Fuck from Game of Thrones. Oh the, yeah, the guy the little girl liked and the, the Onion Knight, yeah, Jimmy Jimmy No Fingers, the Onion Knight or whatever. The Onion Knight, yeah. What the Onion Knight? No, he's the guy that spent all the time with a little girl in the yeah the Onion yeah, Knight. the Onion Knight. He's the smuggler. It was D Bag's brother's like main dude. <laughs> hang on, let me let, the same. Let me. I was just going to say, hang on, let me come up with something more vague than that. Jesus Christ, man! Still the Onion Knight. <laughs> yeah, he was the guy with the sword. Uh, no, he was the guy with the beard. <laughs> the beard, the bearded guy. Yeah. yeah, he was the bearded guy with the sword. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Holy shit! <laughs> uh, no, he he was he was one of the guys that said "Milord, Milord, Milady." <laughs> you are correct. <laughs> there's there's three things that that show is all about: weird sex, buckets of blood, and people going "Milord." My lord and my lady. Every two seconds. That, that might possibly be the best summary of Game of Thrones I've ever heard in my life, Kev. Wow. Thank you, dude. I mean, it's really, that's what it is. It's like, all, it's load, 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 splash, buckets of blood, buckets of blood. Load, 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 load. <laughs> Sounds like some sort of creature. and That's all that it says. When you When you put it that way. No, if you if you just repeat that over and over again, that sounds like a creature, like ululating or whatever, you know. Blood, 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 blood. Good use of ululating. I think we found ourselves down a a bit of a cul-de-sac here. A bit of a cul-de-sac here. Possibly the worst cul-de-sac. Sponsor of the show, ululating, ladies and gentlemen. This week's show is sponsored by ululating. Well, I, I'm sorry. I, I drove down this cul-de-sac because uh, Liam Cunningham, Liam Cunningham. Is, is in this episode, and he played Sir What's-His-Fuck, the guy with the beard and the sword. <laughs> which happens to be which happens to be my address is uh, Liam Cunningham cul-de-sac. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow, a lot of sillies tonight on the podcast, folks. Anyway, Liam Cunningham was great, and really the whole cast was great. I really enjoyed the story, 
It's funny that you said that about the look, Ben, with the kind of the retro thing. Like, I did not really key in on that until you just said that. Like, mm, same circles and like orbs and sphere shaped shit was like a really big nineteen fifties science fiction thing. Like, I don't know what the deal is with that, but yeah, everything did have more of a kind of a spirit. Oh, Jesus, spherical uh, look to it. Uh, the doors were round. Mm-hmm. Just like Bilbo's front door. Um, <laughs> and a retro look. Did not think that was going to land at all. Everything was round. And they just started listing off round things. The doors were round. <laughs> uh, here, let me, let me say it in a more exciting voice. Uh, let me see. The, uh, I, everything was round. The doors were round. And the windows were round. And then it was like a desk that was round, and I noticed that the bed was round, the cups were round, uh, the plates were square. <laughs> um, I wish it had a round bed. That would have been perfect. One of those rotating Austin Powers beds. That would have fit absolutely perfectly. Totally, man. Totally. Absolutely. Anyway, no, I, it, it had a 50s... It had... There was a retroness I mean, to it, for sure. And the there was, yeah. The, yeah. You know, like... What you what you got to see of like the the replays of like you know like when they're battling with the uh, the aliens like their spacesuits and and all that you know like you get the feeling that they went there on a fucking rocket you know like a like yes a, yes like a full on like a, you know a literal yeah, rocket silver yes. dildo rocket silver dildo <laughs> rocket ship exactly there you go yeah. exactly silver <laughs> silver dill in fact that was the name of the rocket they took was the silver dill. <laughs> Back in the days when the patriarchy was trying to fuck the skies with their metal cops. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if that isn't the sizzle reel, I don't know what is. <laughs> Dude, the sizzle reel already has like five minutes worth of material. And I, we yeah, haven't even in this episode, if everybody does, the whole thing is a fucking sizzle reel. There you go. How about that? I'm going to cut out the content and um, just sizzle. Yeah, let's do the opposite. Let's let's leave all the crap in, and we'll cut all the content out. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, so what? No, did you want to keep going, or do you want me to drive this back on track? No, let's let's <laughs> fucking get out of this neighborhood. Hey, there's too many call to sex. Um, I was just gonna say. We were, I know where we were. We were talking about the, the aesthetic of the show, uh, this uh, particular episode. And what I was going to say, Ben, was that I like your comment about it had elements of 1950s sci-fi, but it was beautifully blended with contemporary elements of sci- sci-fi. So I thought that was really cool. You know, just in terms of, you know, everything wasn't all like 1950s. It wasn't like all the consoles had like huge chunky buttons that were all lit up <laughs> with incandescent bulbs the size of your fist. You know what I mean? Like like the video calling was pretty cool. And, you know, when they were working on the computers and so forth, like it, it didn't all have that old aesthetic. It was I thought it was a nice blend of the two is what I'm trying to say. Right. And there's like a, there's like a computer interface that's almost like this sort of weird like light loom kind of thing that Vera is using at one point. It's like light and it's like it comes through this like sort of thing and like a you remember what i'm talking about like it it uh yeah like a triangular interface that she's working with. yeah like a triangular like sort of light interface that she's sort of like working through but it's like this weird sort of white loom thing that she's just sort of dipping through her fingers through while she's talking to her friend yeah definitely you know some kind of different stuff there i thought it was interesting yeah i really enjoyed that um all the spheres of plants i thought were <laughs> they something. were round <laughs> they were and the plants were around too oh my god <laughs> i was really trying to keep this serious but we're not we're gonna keep shooting ourselves in the feet even though we're you know we're trying to just land this plane we're just not gonna do it nah yeah exactly right i can't remember where i saw it but there was um there was like an article about or an interview with people related to the show and they were talking about how the show was written like the screenplay for the adaptation was written by a woman and it was directed by a woman and i think it was maybe edited or another major component of it and they were talking about how you know that lent itself to some of those kind of like maybe not aesthetic choices but some of the cinema cinematography choices and mentioned like you know vera watering her plants and kind of stuff like that in the sense of it being more like an emotive 
set of scenery as opposed to traditional like chop 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 editing and stuff like that so it's interesting that you mentioned the plants kept because it kind of was a, a kind of component of her coping with the loss of her husband who was also a dick and kind of like the mixed emotions there Hmm. Yeah, but it wasn't just that, like, I, I really meant that, like, there, there was a couple of shots where they, they kind of pulled the cat camera back into the corner of the uh, of the round apartment, and um, you could see up, and you could see the spheres of plants, like, all hanging everywhere in the apartment. I just thought that that was, it was a nice detail. Like, there was a lot of detail for uh, a 50-minute single TV episode, you know what I mean? Like... You don't, you don't always get that. And I really thought that that was good. Now, speaking to what you're talking about, yes, I absolutely agree. Um, all the women that worked on this did a great job, number one and number two, lent their perspective and aesthetic to each part of this film, whether it be editing, filming, directing, whatever. And I think that that made it even better. And the part where she's watering the plants and she's alone, like there's just some really great music there. I, I even wrote that down. That was really the only note I had, actually, uh, was how great the music was at that part. Like, you could really feel, you got a really good feeling of the loneliness and the emptiness of potentially having lost somebody in your life. I thought they did a really brilliant job of doing that in that scene. That whole sequence was was really, really good. You know, that was like the music and what they had the actor doing, like all of that stuff, it just, it, it blended together beautifully right there. Yeah, and it kind of threaded the needle of loneliness and loss, but also confusion as to whether she was actually upset about the loss or not because of how abusive it was. And it was a bit of a, mm-hmm. a roller coaster. You could kind of see the roller coaster of emotions that she was going through through the directing and the acting. So, yeah, just to tack on to what you were saying. No, totally, man. Yeah, really good character. Played by a really good actress. Yeah, so uh, yeah, four out of five spherical plant uh, pots is my rating. <laughs> four four round items. <laughs> as, as Ben and I are, are fond of saying to you, Chad, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on a second. Hold on a sec. We'll segue away from uh, what you were saying, Kev, because you were talking about the music in that and the scene with the plants. And one of the soundtrack songs that really stuck out to me was uh, "The Rest of Us" by Colin Stetson. And this song comes in uh, when they're sort of when she when Vera goes to the like that like crazy underground sex club. Yes. Um, and there's this just this sort of like really crazy pulsing, you know, like su- super sci-fi sounding music, and uh, I, definitely I was, futuristic sounding. Yes. The first time I. I watched that episode i was just like what the fuck is this i need to find out what this is and like i dug and dug and i found out that it's this guy colin stetson and his wife sarah newfield it's sort of like a little duet thing and she's playing uh she's playing violin and he plays this guy is like a modern day sort of uh like fucking steampunk cyborg like it's crazy the shit he does it's like really? he's got this he's got this giant fucking baritone sax and like all the percussion elements in the song come from just the actual like he has microphones on the saxophone so it's just all the percussion elements are hearing the all the keys clacking you know like on the on the saxophone and he does like circular breathing so he's just like like i, I think i sent you guys a video you did i watched it yeah, and they drew it live, and it's really live. He's not like using a whoop pedal or anything, you know. Like he's he's playing the entire time, so he uses this crazy circular breathing technique, and then he just gets all these different sounds out of the sax by like you know he wears like a throat mic and he like kind of screams like while he's playing, and like you get all the sounds from like him screaming, and then he does this weird thing where you like you change the like you just change like the shape of your throat, and it makes the saxophone sound different. You get like different like harmonics out of it. So cool. It's just fucking wild, man. I, I couldn't, I kind of couldn't believe it was true when I first found it. And I was like, wow, that's okay. <laughs> that's fucking cool. That's awesome. Yeah, he does. He does some really. We'll check that in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, Ben's, uh, that, that link, Ben, of that duet was incredible. And that song was very cool, very fitting in the episode. In fact, my, my only real notes about the episode were the music. Like I just, the music was jumping out at me. It really spoke to me. It was powerful. It was appropriate for every single scene. And I absolutely loved it. Yeah, it was definitely a strength of the episode for sure. Did you have a um, another thought on the episode, Kev, that you wanted to chime in with or not really? No, the music was really it. I, I really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed the 
the title, the whole subject matter. I, I just thought it was really well done. Like, you know, he is, and I mean, I could really go on about this, but I'm, I'm going to keep it short. Like, he's a douche in the beginning. And he's like, we need to go in and we need to strike at Rexor 4. That's where the largest deposit of hydrant is. And he's like, fuck the inhabitants. And everybody's like, wait a second. No, we shouldn't do. There's other uninhabited planets. He's like, no, 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 no. So he's like completely unempathetic. And then he's relying and on everybody's empathy at the end to keep him from getting killed or executed as a Rexorian. And then he also uses his own empathy as a Rexorian possessing a human to exonerate his wife. And then that same empathy in the very end when she's like, basically, I know you're a Rexorian. What's your real name? Like, can I still call you Silas? Like, you're the best thing since Silas bread. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. Wow. I was hoping for a laugh, but that's a death folks right there. I was going to like the slight aside. I want to hit, put this car in reverse because when you guys were talking about bare phone sax- saxes, I was going to ask if we were pulling off into a cult of sax. So I'm also dying here with a dead. Joke. Oh, oh, wow. I like wow. that, man. God, I wish I had thought of that. I love, I love how you just like completely fucking crash landed an amazing thought, Kev. That was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty. That was, I was really. <laughs> Thank you. The empathy stuff was really interesting. I kind of, you know, I picked up the point of that in watching this stuff, but I, I guess having you say it in that particular way, it really kind of puts adds gravity to it for sure. And, I suppose similarly I hadn't I hadn't encountered a story that I can recall where the humans are the aggressor, you know? So it's almost always like aliens come to take over Earth and steal its resources. And in this case it's like humans go somewhere else and fuck them over. And it was interesting uh, to add that little layer in too. Real quick, there's a there's another great uh, science fiction short you might want to check out. It's about aliens coming to steal human resources. It's called Raka by Neil Blomkamp. Oh, yeah. The, <laughs> ben likes that one, I think. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Actually, Ben, I think, recommended it to me. <laughs> anyway, to, to uncrash land my the rest of my thought, that, that that's what the story is about. And I think they did a really good job of What's the word I'm looking for here? It. Of explaining that, uh, conveying that. That's what I'm looking for. Of conveying that. Of really making you think, like, what is human? Because really, in the end, the Rexorian was more human than Silas was. Yeah. That, that, was, that was where I was really going before I destroyed my entire universe of my great thought. Was that Silas, as a Rexorian, was much more human than the actual Silas was. Which is interesting, too, because we could go on a half for half an hour about it, but like... Is being nice the definition of human? Like, like what? Yeah, well, what no, is but, human? You but know, being Let's... being nice is empathy. Yeah. So, so empathy, being nice is empathy, and all of that. You know, the the question really is about empathy. What what makes something sentient and worth saving? It's empathy. You know, and then it's like you you know they're saying how they're savage monsters, they're horrible. It's like, but they end up having more empathy than the humans do. That's the beauty of it. Yeah. Rexorian Silas was really, um, for all intents and, and purposes, uh, the the best version of Silas. Right? Mm. It's like taking Silas's memories and and being and, and being like, oh, like you know, there's a part where he's like, oh, I, I haven't seen you wear your hair down like that in in a long time. You look beautiful. You know, like he's just like he's just pulling all this stuff out from Silas's memories. You know, to sort of you know, I, I don't know, uh, create this well behaved. Uh, complimentary and uh you know sweet silas that maybe existed once but hasn't been around for a long time you know or or he in in okay so the rexorian in in merging with silas found and discovered what empathy was because it's a human thing oh i hadn't yeah so he was able to i'm throwing this out there right now buddy yeah yeah, i hear you you feeling me? Like it it he didn't know like the Rexorians they said specifically in the beginning of the episode cuz I just watched it so it's like hyper fresh in my mind. Sure. Yeah, I never, I never I didn't really pick up on that. That's interesting. Yeah, so they they talk about how they have no empathy and they're horrible monsters and all of that. The Rexorian merges with Silas, who up until now has been a douche. And in doing that, he has access now to 
all of what being a human being is all about. And he discovers empathy within that human being who is a douche. And he he latches on to that. And that becomes his thing, really, if you think about it. Like, he's all about loving his wife and thinking about other people, making her breakfast. He goes and finds the strawberries. Mm. And then in the courtroom, he's saying, I am a Rexorian if you meet these requirements. And that one requirement is exonerating Vera. And he's there's this perfect moment. When he's like, you just, they pan right in on his face and he's just like, you can just see the, the water in his eyeball. It's just perfect. Water in his eyeballs, you know, it's perfect. It's so great. So anyway, yeah, that that's the whole, that's what I'm throwing out there about the empathy now. I just sort of thought of that. It's interesting. Provocative. Ululating. Yeah. When you said that they were talking about the Rixorians not having any empathy, I just took that as like, uh, you know, I mean, this is like a pretty like authoritarian human society, and it seems like a kind of an avatar scenario where they're just like just spreading across, the, you know, spreading across the galaxy or whatever, and, and just taking whatever resources come their way. This sort of, uh, you know, this idea of people. So I didn't really, I thought they were just saying that, you know, like uh, it was like excuse making, you know, um, yeah, that kind of a thing. Oh, I like didn't. you mean like an excuse to 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 go in there and take the hydrant and just destroy them? Right. Yeah. Like oh, they're oh. terrible, so we're just going to take their stuff from them. You know, like they're they're awful. They have no empathy. You know, like I I just that's that's the way I took it. I didn't take it as you know as red yeah you know what i didn't take it that i took it the same way the first time i saw it exactly what you just said like i just didn't register and then when i watched it again this time i was like huh mulvey has a thought let's call the president (laughs) i don't know if that's the right person to call bro (laughs) you know what you're probably right no the the fictional president oh (laughs) tiny lister maybe tiny lister yeah or or, uh Bill Paxton? Not Bill Paxton. What would Bill Pullman? <laughs> Bill Pullman. Sure. Bill Pullman. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Bill Pullman from Independence Day? Independence Day 2? Totally. Lone Star? Oh, my God. I could keep rattling off fictional presidents until we change the topic. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, Michael Douglas from... Uh, Lone Star. Whatever. Uh, then there's Dave from Kevin Klein as Dave. That was <laughs> He was great. I was going to say that You know that what? That one, would but- be... Were you? I, I was, but I was sure I was going to die. That would be my... That's my pick. Nah. That was my pick. If Okay, if I was calling the president, it would be Dave, but look-alike Kevin Klein Dave from the movie Dave. I think you're right, Jerry. You would have died because Kev just died again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. Beyond the Aquila Rift. I think right from the start, we're going to get into spoilers here. So, um, yeah, so we'll get to the synopsis in a little while, but we're definitely going to spoil it pretty much straight away. I don't know when I first read this, but uh, it was interesting seeing it in my eyeballs. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Yes, in your eyeballs. Yep, in my eyeballs. In the eyeballs. It showed itself to you in your eyeballs. In my eye holes. I, I I think after reading a couple of the big Alistair Reynolds trilogies and all of his books i started devouring everything that he that he had written really and started smashing through the anthologies it's probably encountered the story then i remember it hitting me pretty hard when i read it just being like wow that's a great idea and i was way less so watching it <laughs> yeah watching it, i was just kind of like yeah i don't care i think i think my biggest complaint is uh Nothing to do with the story and everything to do with I just don't really like realistic animation, like cutscene animation. I just find the uh the uncanny valley thing too jarring for me. And I just I, I have a hard time connecting. Chad, I, I have to go next and um I wanna say that like I kinda I agree with you. Like I, I enjoy the actual story from, from Alistair Reynolds and if anybody's cares, uh Beyond the Cool Rift is actually in the Zima Blue uh anthology. Oh, cool. So if you want to read it um, and you maybe have uh, already picked up Zima Blue to read the story of Zima Blue, then that one's in there as well. Perhaps you've picked up a bottle of Zima to enjoy with your copy of Zima Blue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Um, sorry, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> My mind is going to weird places tonight. You did promise Zima jokes, so it's totally fine. That was not that was not a death. No. Okay. No, no. That was not a death. That was not a death. Um, but Chad, I'm with you. I've, I felt like the animation style was like a like a like a showcase for fine 
human body hairs and yeah. skin pores. I just don't fucking care. <laughs> right. <laughs> I don't either, man. I really don't. In fact, the highlights for me were pretty much everything in it except the human, quote, actors. Like, I, I just don't... I like seeing spacescapes and space stations and technology. I loved the best part of this entire short, certainly from a visual perspective, is the nightmare scape when he when he wakes up and he's got the beard and he's all emaciated. And it was like exactly, not exactly what I had in my mind, but pretty damn close for when I read Revelation Space. Like I read Revelation Space and I thought that was the certainly the darkest science fiction book I've ever read. It was bizarre. And it was like, I just feel like everything was covered in weird fungus in the story. <laughs> and like, it was like growing and mutating and like, you know, uh, starting internet businesses and little hot dog stands and stuff like that. But like, I, I don't... Like the, when the yogurt took over? Yeah, like that. But somehow different and and scarier and i really so i really like the nightmare scape of you know with the spider creature you know controlling his mind and like the whole thing and then they they kind of pan out and you see that it's just like a, a a giant like galactic spider web with all this stuff caught in it and it's like people existing in this like sort of hellish mind nightmare scape forever and ever and ever you know and mm. but the other thing that i really enjoyed about it was that you definitely get a sense of vastness of the universe created at least in this story like it's massive well i mean this story is really it's really designed to to make you feel that you know it's it's, it's a like a trick to make you feel the vastness of the universe because these people have literally like managed to jump so far outside of where they're from that they could never get back in any time frame that would where the the people they know would still be around you know it's like he jumps and his wife is already dead you know like <laughs> it's just, it's already too late it's got that planet of the apes kind of thing going on yeah 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 it's like this like weird place at the end of the universe where it's like these uh, you know that the the spider you know sort of aliens or whatever that you're seeing in this uh, or that they're portraying them to be in this and i'm not quite sure that that's exactly how they they portrayed it something like that in the book i think it's almost like they're these like caretakers at the end of the universe you know where they're just like they happen to be in this spot Mm -hmm. where people keep cropping up out of time and and they're just there to like do the best they can to try and comfort them you know wow that's a creepy thought that's that's an interesting thought well, it it also like I hadn't thought about it until you mentioned it a second ago, Kev, the spider motif. But like you kind of get the feeling that they're empathetic creatures. But it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were like feeding on the uh, interactions or emotions. You know, like maybe they're like fucking psychic vampire style spiders or something. You know, like that's their that's their energy source or whatever. It could it could actually be even darker than we thought. I think they weave it. In, they weave it kind of ambiguous in both. Situ in the short story and in the in the short film. Um, so I, I tend to think the other way, just because the aliens are portrayed as being creepy to us. You know, they're portrayed as like when you see the reality of it, and you're like caught up in this. You know, it's like you're you may as well be an alien. You know, like you're caught up in like webs, and like there's these fucking crazy creatures with a million eyes that like come working out of the shadows to you know, reveal themselves as the the true you know people that have found you. Like that's fucking creepy, right? Like, but maybe they're not. You know, like because they. I feel like because they chose to portray it that way that it's like to to a human being seeing them is like they're so alien and they're so foreign that it's creepy to us that perhaps that they really are actually benevolent. It's just that they don't like nothing looks benevolent about the situation. You know? Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe it, maybe this is a good time for a synopsis because we were just kind of talking around it. Um, so similar to what Ben was saying, there's like a technology, an alien kind of teleportation faster than light style technology that allows people to move quickly between stars and planets. And the human race doesn't understand how it works. So sometimes there are errors either via the navigation computer on the ship or via the devices, the alien devices themselves. In the short story, actually, it's, it's clear that it was 
an issue with the um, maintenance of the ship that is likely to have caused the issue. And they end up at a space station getting repairs. And so uh, similar to maybe like the Halo video game and stuff like that, or other common sci-fi tropes of like freezing people cryogenically when they're traveling, the crew is frozen and then the captain comes to and he's on a space station and he meets a, a girl that he used to date and um, they try and get the ship fixed. And as time goes on, it becomes clear that she's lying to him and they're actually farther away than they thought. And, and the lies kind of unravel to the point where it turns out they're like outside of the Milky Way galaxy in the middle of bumfuck Idaho and and she's actually not his ex-girlfriend she's a giant crazy spider fucking psychic vampire thing and it the big the big twist is that everybody's dead and he's fucked and that's kind of the end of the story <laughs> Yeah, it's very, uh, it's an uplifting tale. Yeah, it's a feel good, feel good movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a dark, it's a dark story, man. The one thing that, that is actually different from the short story, the short story is very, very similar. Like it's, it's just, you know, Alistair Reynolds is really good, in my opinion, of a really good at the details. Like he'll, he'll talk about the technology as if, you know, you know what it is. And so it kind of thrusts you into the world and you kind of really get immersed in the tech and the jargon and and you kind of have to keep up. And it's kind of, I don't know, I I really enjoy the way that he writes. And so a lot of it's just jargony stuff and it just kind of adds flavor to to the universe as opposed to the story being drastically different. However, there is one difference that's kind of key where he actually has a wife and a kid back home. When he's delayed through the error of this computer, he like shoots her a message and is like, I'm actually behind. I'm going to probably be 10 days late. You know, I might even arrive before you get this message. I love you, all that kind of stuff. And then he mm. he doesn't mention the um, the ex-girlfriend. And kind of in, in the story later, he realizes that he didn't mention the ex-girlfriend because he kind of knew he was going to end up hooking up with her. And, and um, I don't recall if in the short film, um, the ex-girlfriend basically calls it out. But she's like, she basically tries to seduce him to see if he actually cares about his wife at home. Yeah. Yeah. And the story that happens for sure. Um, yeah. It's kind of like this weird thing. Like she, she calls him out on it and he gets totally offended. And he's like, well, if you really cared about her, then why did you hook up with me? And it's, she's like super matter of fact about it, you know, um, which, which sort of forces him to be like, uh, oh shit, I guess you're right. You know? Yeah. I thought that was an interesting part. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Overall, it's an interesting short story. Very dark. Could have been a Black Mirror episode. And maybe, maybe like, like my parting thought on is, is I would have preferred if it was a live, if it was like Human Is live action, it would, I would have liked it twice as much. I agree with that. Yeah. Or, or even if it was just a more abstract uh, art style. Yeah. Or cartoony or something. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not feeling the uh, uncanny valley, super hyper realistic computer animated stuff. Like that literally, I mean, I mean, it was, it was really well done, but I feel like the whole, like I said it before, I feel like the whole thing was literally made to showcase some new technology that's really good at making like fine body hairs and, and showing off, uh, this new thing that makes skin look uh, very like over realistic with pores. Right. <laughs> For the new gears of war game. You know what I mean? And is it, I, I don't think this is a weird thing to say, but like, I kind of find it creepy that a group of people spent hours and hours and hours animating a weird cartoon hentai sex scene. Like I just, I just picture these people sitting at their workstations, like animating boob jiggles and stuff. And it's just, it's like, guys, do something different with your time. It's just weird. It was a little bizarre. Yeah, I uh, I couldn't remember if the story was that sexual. And I still, uh, it's not that the story isn't, the short story isn't that graphic. No. The the relationship between, uh, shit, I can't even think of the name, main character's name. Uh, Jake. Well, I mean, the the relationship between him and Greta, like, is, is it's a big part of the story, but I don't remember there being that much uh, graphic sex in the whole thing. No, right. So they probably those nerds probably added that in. I mean, it, it's a bit it's a bit of flashiness. There's no action sequences in, in the in the short, you know. So I guess that is kind of the action, right? Right. No pun intended. Well, I I kind of get why they did it. They're using it to like just sort of gloss over part of the story, you know, and illustrate the connection between these these people. Um, but I don't know that they needed to do it like that yeah right here's what i want to say about and i guess this is my parting thought i was going to say this like 10 minutes ago but you guys were like on about something and i just sort of tuned out (laughs) (laughs) started chatting with jimmy google didn't you 
So, I don't know what. No, I wasn't. I was just sort of <laughs> sitting here staring into space, literally at the paint. Um, the hyper realistic look of this, uh, I watched a bunch of the other shorts in Love, Death, and Robots suits about the farmers fending off an alien invasion. Like, that, that was the weird thing about the Love, Death, and Robots thing to just digress slightly for a second. I feel like half the episodes are about an alien invasion, or we got to go in and like destroy like a shitload of weird aliens, either coming up from the bowels of the earth or landing on the planet. Anyway, the animation in suits and the animation in the episode where there's three cyborgs or three or four cyborgs uh, pulling a heist on this truck that's driving down the highway. I would much rather have seen something like that for this story. Or like Chad said, see it in live action. Like that would be intense. That being said, the one redeeming quality is that they did such a good job. I actually could not figure out if it was people or fake when I started watching it. It didn't take me long to figure it out, but there was a period of time where I was like, wait a second, what? who is that? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I guess that's a testament to like how photo real it was, but I don't, I, I don't know. There's something... Or a testament it's... to how tired you were. <laughs> yeah, or a testament to how lame that comment was. Um, I think that... I... <laughs> oh, folks. I'm dead. Zing! I think that um, it was... Now you made me lose my train of thought with your fuck you, bro. Bullying. Fuck you. I think that it was a testament to how fo- the like you know how good it was. It was you know the photo real, but the the photo real. I just don't like. It, I don't know. It just starts looking really weird and creepy after a couple of minutes. You know what I mean? And like I didn't need to see like you guys said the boobs, all that. Like I don't, I don't care about all that. It's the uncanny valley when it's a little too close. It just it it becomes that much creepier. You know, whereas like if you just abstract it. You abstract it back a layer or two and you're fine with it. But if when it gets like too close to the real thing, but it's still not the real thing, that's when you get the, the creeper vibes. And it set it set all of those off for all of us, apparently. So <laughs> Yeah, it did. No, I just to contrast and compare, I did I did throw um the secret war into the mix as one of my picks that I watched and that was about, again, a bunch of creatures coming up from the earth somewhere in Siberia. And that had a very photoreal look to it as well. But there was something about that one that did not bother me the way this one did. Like the, the, the photoreal effect was really good. And the way the characters moved and spoke and the way their mouths moved was really good. But it did not give me that same Uncanny Valley feeling. That you that this one did, and I don't know why. Maybe because there were a lot of like these sort of demonic creatures in it during most of it, or what. But it was good. They really showed off. Like I remember, there were just spots where, like you know, uh, they did like a close up on Greta's face, and there's like a light behind her, and you can see like you know, like this, those fine like fine hairs on her face, and it's just like, oh, you you made that shot just to show off that you you were able to do that, you know, like, to make it that hyper realistic. You know, and then there's other shots with his close ups where you can just see the skin and like how modeled and like, you know, porous it is. And it's like that they really like they really showcased that stuff. Like they went through it was like they they made the whole thing to just be like, oh, look how good we did this. You know, yeah, right. Check out our texture mapping. Wow. Um, <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. And they did, they did, did it. It was like, wow, that is pretty good. But it's. Fuck, it's weird. You know what's better? <laughs> yeah, it's too weird. A fucking actor on a set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even if it's on a green screen. And speaking of fantastic films that were created only with a green screen. Nice freaking Segway. That's why we call him Segway Go. Kung Fury, the greatest film ever made in the history of mankind. Uh, I hope you're not being sarcastic because it literally is the greatest film in the history of mankind. Oh, I'm not being sarcastic. That is a fantastic it's just like mind-blowingly fantastic short film. There is nothing bad about this film. So good. I could watch it for... If this was three hours long, I would watch it. I watched the original five-minute short before they made the 31-minute short. I watched that about a million times. I could watch it if it was five hours long. I could watch David Sandberg pretend that he's in the 80s for, like, ever. It's so good. Everything about it is so good. Done. There you go. End of the episode. Folks, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you on another time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, whoa, wait. I just got whoa-woed by Jarhito. Yeah, whoa, Damn. Whoa. 
I'm kidding. Go ahead. I think the only thing the film does wrong is it fucking hits you over the head with its absurdness. Quite possibly. Yeah, but I like that, though. I get you. And and I I have a little bit of a problem with that because I, I... vacillate between like a really pure form of delight and then i get smacked over the head with something and i'm like ugh, why did you have to go that far with it you know um then that's that's I, and i vacillate between those two things like I, I vacillate between like fair enough this like pure like joy of like oh this is like 80s and it's awesome it's like everything i grew up with and then i'm like oh why did they have to like smack me over the head with that obvious silly shit I ended up not not crossing the line for me at all. No, nah. It didn't. It. I know exactly what you mean. I'm just, I guess, glad that it didn't cross the line for me. And I was just, I guess, like any time it would kind of drag, it would immediately be followed by like something absolutely fucking hysterical, like hit, you know, Hitler shooting a bunch of cops through a telephone or something, like just the funniest shit. I, I just found it so delightful. Um, I think I, I think this got lost in the uh, cacophony. Jarhigo, would you fancy us with an example of what you're talking about? Favor us with an example of what you're talking about. I I couldn't. It's it's what happens through the entire experience. <laughs> it's the entire thing. The whole thing. I can't decide. You know, like I, it's what my experience is when I watch it. I'm like, I love it. I love it, and then at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's just. Is it like a little too close to a parody movie or something? I mean, it's a parody of itself. Yeah. <laughs> they, I feel like they could have just dialed it back like 5% and I would have been like, oh, yeah, I love this. And I, I do love it. Don't get me wrong. But it's just when, every time I watch it, I'm like, I just vacillate between these two different things. I'm like, um, oh, I like it. I like it. I like it. It's great. Ugh, I don't know. Maybe I don't. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how I feel about it. It's just it's. It's 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 just it's it's so absurd and it's so heavy handed that it just it's it, it depending on what mood I'm in it can be off putting you know sure That's all. I, I get that I get where you're coming from I'm not I I am not in agreement but I get where you're coming from I am in the exact I'm I'm riding the motorcycle with algorithm Ooh. I, I I love how ridiculous this Ooh. movie is it's Ooh. what makes it great Yep I I. Saucy. Well, you know, when when Chad made that trailer with the the motorcycle thing for <laughs> Endgame, it made me think of that. But um, it's just so it's so ridiculous. It's so eighties. It's soaked in absurdity. It's soaked in eighties. The music is unbelievably good. I've downloaded the soundtrack immediately last year. Mitch and Murder. I, yeah, Mitch Murder. Perfect name for an awesome guy creating like quasi 80s songs, dude. I mean, give me a break. And I, I listen to the soundtrack all the time, man. It's great. It's so good. And just like the lines in the movie are great. The characters like Triceracop. Are you kidding me? That <laughs> Triceracop is so, is so be- good. Triceracop is right up there with uh, cul-de-sacs and... Uh, <laughs> Best thing since Silas Spread. <laughs> I mean, come on, dude. It's so good. I mean, the chief uh, with the, with the you know, he's like got a fake, like a stubbed out cigarette in his mouth. God damn it, Kung Fury, get in here. You know, like yeah, just every single trope you can imagine was like baked into the DNA of this film. And it's just, it's so great. And like, I love like Kung Fuhrer and the, t- and the, uh, the hacker dude. Exactly. Oh, yeah. So good. Oh, Hacker Man with the Nintendo glove and the sick mullet and then like Barbariana. I mean, come on, dude. Like better name for like a warrior woman who's walking around with a minigun? I don't think so. <laughs> so weird. And then like, you know, Zeus was just amazing. Thor is and Thor. Like, and that, I mean, sorry, sorry, Thor. Yeah, exactly. And um, when he, there's like this little interlude that almost ends up being like a commercial Oh, for the telephone. Gives, <laughs> yeah, when he gives the two barbarian chicks the telephone to keep in touch with him. That was so good. Like, through time. It's a portable cellular telephone, you know? Like, it's so great, man. Like, I, there's nothing that's like velociraptors with laser beam eyes. Come on. I thought they went extinct thousands of years ago. Yeah, exactly. Laser raptors. Oh, my God. I took, I, I went, I went a bit over the top and took a pretty big deep dive on this one and, like, scour the internet so are you guys up to speed on uh on kind of the backstory of it and the uh the future story of it 
I, I know quite a bit about this film, as I discovered uh, over the last couple of years as it was being made, you know, all in a green screen, all of that. I think I linked up the video for True Survivor that, uh, with Hasselhoff. Yeah, that was great. In, yeah. in in the thread, yeah, you know, we'll chuck it in the show notes. Yeah, it was it was just um. Let me just add a couple more things. A giant video game machine that comes to life and turns into a giant robot with uh, guns on its arms, flipping everybody off and like shooting. Like I mean, just like the the guy the guys with the skateboards in the beginning, and like they stamp on the skateboard, and the cop car flips like a thousand million feet in the air, and it rolls over like a thousand times. He's like, I got your I got your permits right here. You know, it's like it's just so great, man. Yeah. That skateboard flip really sets you up in the first minute. Oh yeah. And then and then like, you know, the lair on the top of the building. It's like this chilled out thing with all this Japanese shit. And then there's like a picture of himself on the wall behind him, behind the couch. It's so perfect. Yeah, and she comes up to him. Yeah, that's my bicep. <laughs> that's my bicep. <laughs> you know, he crushes the phone into dust when he gets the phone call. Where are you going to do my job? That's so good. So great. Anyway, that's that's my opening salvo about this movie. Are you uh are you aware of what occurred on September 25th of this year? Um this movie was re- voted the best movie ever by everybody on the planet. <laughs> close, close. Uh, they wrapped filming for the actual feature-length movie and uh Michael Fassbender and Arnold Schwarzenegger are in it. Are you serious? I'm 100% serious. Wow. I wonder if the rest of this podcast can be done with an erection. Because (laughs) I have one. (laughs) David Hasselhoff, Michael Fassbender, and Arnold Schwarzenegger are starring alongside David Sandberg in Kung Fury, the feature film. You had me at Schwarzenegger, but yes, wow. That is great news for me. Yeah, for me and the nerds out there. Holy shit. I'm so stoked that you weren't aware of that. I I did some digging and and found that and was pretty pumped about it. So, Benny, this is going to be the true test of whether they uh, are able to thread the needle. Because if you're concerned with how over the top it is in a 30-minute film, like making a feature-length movie might be a very risky maneuver. It might be, but if they're smart, they'll just take what they already have and add in another hour's worth and not make it more than 90 minutes. I think it'll it'll go right in there with the beloved uh, right alongside uh, Your Highness. That is a movie that all my friends love and I hate. <laughs> Your Highness? I don't even oh, know that Oh, what is that? I've never even heard of that. Your Highness. Uh, I think it's called Your Highness. It's um, Danny McBride and um, fucking... You know, whatever. It's like a goofy stoner. Um, it's like a stoner movie about guys that go back in time or something. Stoner fantasy movie. It's a goofy stoner fantasy movie. I guess the uh, they've said that they're not using any of the footage from the original. It's it's Kung Fury 2. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the end of Kung Fury, the short film, is Hitler riding on the eagle. So I think it kind of picks up from there. Wow. It better. And it better have everybody in it from the first film. Like Triceracop, Barbari- Barbariana... It does have uh, the dude from Lonely, whatever, what Lonely fucking Planet. What the hell is the dick in a box or I'm on a boat? No, not Lonely Planet. Lonely Island. Jorma Tacone. Yeah, that dude. Hitler. He's in it. Yeah, right on. Um, Schwarzenegger. Wow, that's sick. Yeah, just like a, a, like a parting thought on it because, you know, we don't need to reenact the whole thing. but We don't? I think the thing that impressed me the most about it, which I didn't know until digging into it the other day, was that the dude, you know, essentially made 50-60% of the thing in his office with the green screen and, um, like, self-funded and then kick- did a Kickstarter. And the Kickstarter raised, like, 300 grand in the first 24 hours and ended up at 600 grand. So it's just pretty legit how 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 the dude was able to bootstrap the whole thing. Mm. Absolutely, man. He's like my hero. Yeah. And uh it's a magnificent it's a magnificent vision. Yeah, totally. There's some great <laughs> uh making of stuff on their YouTube channel. Is it like Laser Unicorns or something? I'll put a link in the show notes to it. Yeah, Laser Unicorns. Yeah, I've watched pretty much all those. It's um, great. It's really great stuff. What was I going to say? Oh, there was like one one thing in particular, which was saying that they only had one cop outfit, so they ended up filming like a bunch of dudes in the same outfit differently and like spliced them all together in the cop scene in the like cop shop. And if you like watch it, it's really funny because 
it's a bunch of dudes on like a green screen treadmill kind of just like slowly sliding through the screen. <laughs> it looks so cheesy. Yeah. It just is perfect. Or whenever they did scenes with uh, people riding on the backs of various beasts, like the wolf or the uh, giant T-Rex, it was like them on a stool. Yeah. It's just like bobbing up and down. In the office. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was great, man. I it just really creative. Like, I, I mean, to kind of go a little bit deeper on this, like, it, it's a perfect example of going for something that you really want to make happen, number one. And number two, really getting creative to make it happen. Like, the stools and, like, the uniforms, like, all the stuff we just mentioned, you know? like Yeah, just do it. It's just great. Don't sit around wishing you had five uniforms and not make the movie as a result. Like, just fucking make it. Exactly. And now you got Schwarzenegger and Hasselhoff in the same movie, dude. Like, is the freaking world going to explode when that happens? I think so. Probably. The last nugget I've got, which is a bit of an aside, is um, his cop partner who gets cut in half by the samurai in the beginning is actually a Kickstarter backer. The dude paid 10 grand and he he's cast as the sidekick. Like the the call partner, I thought that was great. <laughs> wow, I love it. That guy was great. And that is how you kickstarter shit, people. That is how you kickstart the heart. That's right. He's like, you're the best partner I've ever had. You're like a father to me. <laughs> I love how he's saying this to his partner, who's like the same age as him. You're like a father to me. So ridiculous. And then I love I love how he had no trouble taking two tropes from like every 80s cartoon and film and tv show being bitten by a cobra and struck by lightning and why not have both (laughs) when all of a sudden i was struck by lightning and bitten by a cobra at the same time this is perfect that's so good kung fury best movie ever it really is like the whole part when 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 uh jorma hitler gets pissed and he's on the cell phone like I never thought he would start shooting through the phone. Like, that was the most perfect thing ever. Oh, dude, I cracked up. I, I've always wanted to do that. And, like, you know, doesn't work in the laws of physical reality in the current dimension that we live in. But in that one, it sure does. And I love how he's going, fuck you. <laughs> it's just so stupid, man. It is. Like Ben said, it's, like, absurd to the 10th power. Oh, what about the... um? It smacks you in the face every other second. Like it just, it's an onion, an onion layer of, of just obvious, you know, just, just crazy full on obvious. Yeah. Tropes. And, and it's a magnificent vision. That's, that's all I can say. It smacks you in the face throughout the entire thing. And it is nonstop until in the middle where it stops on the two Nazis on the bench in front of the tank, and the dude's got a blonde mustache, and the other one's making fun of him for it, and they, he starts crying. Oh, my God. That's like, you look like a dog's pubic hair or whatever. It's just so good, dude. I totally forgot about that. It's funny, too, because they're translating it from German, and they start speaking German, but then they kind of degrade into this like fake german half english yeah it's 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 freaking brilliant man yeah and then and then kung fury squashes them with the tank swung by the barrel swung by the barrel of the tank i don't know one of my favorite moves from kung fury i think my two okay so Here's my, I'm going to pose this question to you guys. What are your two favorite moves by Kung Fury? And I'm going to tell you what mine are straight away. Jump off the roof of the building, shooting all the way down to get the car to turn on and to open the door. Brilliant. <laughs> Second favorite move by Kung Fury was, and I'm, I'm sure I'm not remembering them all, but when he like blasts that one dude with a kick at the very end when they're fighting all of the Nazis... And then he starts riding him like a skateboard and even does like an Ollie Kip kickflip with his body. <laughs> so great. Those are those are good. What are what what about you guys? You just you just picked mine. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's like you, uh, uh, try, trying to get back onto the motorcycle with Kev. There you go. Yeah, there, yeah, there you go, man. I mean, I would say my runner up for those would be when he's on top of the car, like he's driving down the road going like 3,000 miles an hour. Then he gets on the roof and he's flying through the air on the roof, shooting the arcade machine robot. Like, I mean, come on. You don't see that every day. <laughs> you know what? You know what else is cool is how a uh, hacker man, when he finally like dials in his armor at the end, like everybody he shoots turns into like three dimensional pixels. Yeah. They're just sort of 
clubbing you in the face with it, but there's so much detail in this as well. Yeah. And maybe my, my pick would be uh, him riding on the keyboard in like a Tron universe going back in time. Like, it's Oh, just... wow. That's a great move. Mm. Yeah, that is really good. God, I don't know what else to say about this movie. I mean, Chad just made my month by telling me that there's a Kung Fury 2 coming out with Hasselhoff, Fassbender, and Schwarzenegger. Pretty legit. Go see the movie. And if you're interested, folks, at home, we obviously will put a link to the the YouTube channel where you can watch the movie for free. And also, there is a game that you can play on your phone called Kung Fury Street Rage. I, of course, have it. And it is a classic 2D side scroller. Like, all you do is just like kick the heads off of like Nazis, Nazi zombies, or whatever. It's great. It's funny. We'll try to put a link for that up in there, too. All right, last pick Helping Hand. This would be actually pretty damn quick. Uh, well, Ben already said what it is. That's true. In the beginning of the episode. So, Ben, you want to repeat what you said? And we'll just, then we can wrap this up. <laughs> yeah, sweet. <laughs> Uh, this this is the movie that Gravity should have been. And there you have it, roll folks. Roll credits. Roll the credits. Good joke. Roll a snare. Thank you very much. And great segue. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> to future episodes. The Rorschach segue. So, folks, thanks for tuning in on this episode. Tune in next time for as we will be uh i don't know what you would call it picking apart uh talking too much about uh the first half of watchmen so be sure to watch that and then tune in for that we're going to be talking about episodes one through four and the only other thing i'll say is see you on another time love you long time i'm gonna try something new here smell you later whoa And that's going to wrap up this week's episode, folks. Next week, be sure to tune in as we are going to be talking about episodes one through four of the new reimagined series, Watchmen, that is currently airing on HBO. You can find the show notes for today's episode in your podcast app o choice or at our website, ebd.fm forward slash episodes forward slash 30. You can shoot us questions using the Twitter hashtag AskEBD. You can find me at Wolverine on Twitter. That's M-O-H-L-V-E-R-I-N-E. Chad is at Chad Normal on Twitter. Ben is at Jarhego on Twitter. That's J-A-R-H-E-E-G-O. I'd like to take a minute and thank everybody so much for tuning into the show. It really means a lot to me and the boys. And if you'd like to support the show, there are two great ways you can do it. First, by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast widgets. Or you can tell someone to check out the show. Word of mouth is incredibly powerful and incredibly effective. Thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next time.